just a small note, I don't know if you know this, but that, that hymn that we sang, especially the third verse, it's kind of interesting. Last night I asked about it. For whatever reason, thank we all our God, or Lord, I love thee with all my heart is a hymn for whatever reason not a lot of you guys have sung growing up. Even though it is in the old hymnal and it's got the exact same tune, ex- almost the exact same words, I'm pretty certain. But, and the reason I kind of say that's kind of depressed, sad is because the third verse is traditionally said next to bedsides when people die. And very sitting, fitting for those first words, now let at last thine angels come. What perfect words to say when somebody's not passing. So anyways, the text for the sermon this day, though, is taken from John 16, which was read earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I've never been pregnant. And I don't expect to get pregnant anytime because I don't have a uterus, so I guess that kind of uh, stands in the way. But from what rumor has it is being pregnant can be quite painful at times. And it's not an easy trip for, for any woman that's ever pregnant. But the thing is, is as agonizing and as tough as those nine months may be, and especially those last few hours, the minute that child is born, there is an incredible joy that all of a sudden you're not thinking about what the pain that went through, but just that child in your eye, in front of your eyes. Sound pretty accurate for those who've had that experience? This is the illustration that our Lord uses. Because see, this is Jesus, we're in the midst of this discourse in John 16. And we're going to be reading about it next week and the week after. And it's on the night that Jesus is betrayed, the night before he is being, going to be crucified. And so he's telling his disciples that very soon you are going to be grieving. Very soon I, he is going to be dead. But, and, but also they would soon see him risen. And when they saw the empty tomb, they saw the risen Jesus, all the sorrow and grief that they had would disappear in a moment. But he's also telling them of what's going to happen after his ascension. That Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And the day of Pentecost is going to come. And the people of the church are going to go about proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And as he proclaimed, and as they do this, there's no promise that the life is going to be easy. See, last week I talked about that wolf, the devil, circling around the flock, the people of God, looking for the opportunities and ways that he can lead us astray, that he can devour our flesh, body, and soul. And one of his favorite tactics is teaching us the pros- what is known as the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. That is, that if you, the way you can, and that the way that people get this in their minds 
is they think, well, you know, I've been I'm having a pretty good life right now. I'm, you know, I'm not, my health is good. Um, I have pretty, I don't have any problems with my bills. I have a lot, I have a good family. And that's the, that is the evidence that God has favor on me. Now, we should give thanks for the good things, but just because your life is going well does not mean that God, it's God's favor. And see, the thing is, is the devil wants us to think that way. A good example of how that works is how we view our own nation. There are many who believe that the United States is God's chosen nation. However, the Bible never says anything about it. So in other words, to say it is to put words into God's mouth that he did not say. Which, if you remember in Revelation, what does it say about adding to wor- the words to God? Words to God's books, don't do it. That's not to say we can't, be, can't like our country. This does not mean we can't enjoy our freedoms. But to say that we are God's chosen nation, there's no evidence of that. In fact, according to the Bible, there's only one nation that was ever God's chosen nation. But the reason people want to think the United States is, they'll go, well, look at us. We have the most powerful military in the world. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. And we have, we're supposedly a Christian nation. We've convinced ourselves that we are Christians from the get-go. But in reality, the guys that founded our country were not Christian, but deist. In other words, they believed that there was a God, but they didn't believe in the Christian God. You know Thomas Jefferson, the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence? He rewrote the New Testament and wrote out every miracle that Jesus did, including the resurrection. So that tells you how Christian our founding fathers were, or were not. Christianity didn't really flourish in this country until the 19th century. But, But the thing is, these supposed successes, we think that means we are the chosen nation. But look at the one chosen nation, the nation of Israel. And I'm not talking about modern day Israel. I'm talking the descend, the ones that were um, over there before the um, Babylonian Empire, the descendants of Jacob. They were not the biggest country. They were not the biggest nation. They were not the most powerful. In fact, the the very fact that they existed, that the descendants of Jacob actually exist to this day, although they're not the same nation they once were, is a miracle of God. Because they were surrounded by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Greeks. Empire after empire has risen and fallen, and they still stood. Nations far more powerful, far wealthier than they were. And yet God's chosen nation was probably actually the weakest of the nations. One of the least wealthy. And yet they were God's chosen nation. God's favor is not evidenced by our material blessings. 
But the devil wants us to think it is. Because he wants us to think it so that when all of a sudden bad things befall us, we sit there and wonder God's goodness. And say, God, why are you, why are you letting this happen to me? Or even more, the devil likes us to look at another person's life and say, why am I suffering and that person isn't? Kind of like when you're a kid and you complain to your parents, like, why did I get punished this way and they got punished that way? Anybody ever go through that one? Complained about how you got punished compared to your brother or sister? We kind of had that same idea. We complain to God about how we suffer and how others don't. And the devil wants us to look at it. But the thing is, the devil also doesn't want us ever to think that that person may be suffering in a way that you don't see. It may be a suffering that they're hiding, that they're carrying with themselves every day. It might be, a, they, you might say, look at them, they have a happy marriage. But in reality, their marriage is in shambles. That their marriage might be a living nightmare. And you don't even know it. The devil wants us to be hidden from those realities. And he wants us to focus on our suffering and think that God doesn't love us. But as it says in Scripture, in Proverbs, in Hebrews, it talks about how a loving father disciplines his children. He doesn't punish not to mistake it for punishment. There's a dis- difference between disciplining a child and punishing a child. Punishing a child is just causing pain or suffering just for the sake of doing so. Discipline has the purpose of teaching. So for example, if you, got, if you stayed out late when, when you were younger and you got grounded, what was getting grounded teaching you to do? Don't stay out. They're trying to teach you a lesson. And that also means that how you, punish, how you, you respond to an action of a child should vary. If your child just spilled some milk, you're not going to react the same way as if they wrecked the car later. You're going to react differently. It's, all, it's the purpose is teaching. We are God's children. And he disciplines us. He allows suffering to enter into our lives to teach us. Because there, there's, a wonderful, there's a scene in the movie, God's Not Dead, which I'm not a huge fan of the movie, as many of you know. But there's one scene that I kind of liked. And it's a scene where this rich young man is sitting in a room with his mother who has Alzheimer's. And he says to her, he says, look at you. You are one of the nicest people in the world. And I'm one of the meanest. I am rich and you are poor. I am successful and you can't remember a thing. Explain that to me. And the mother responds and says, You see, the devil wants us... The devil wants us to be comfortable in ourselves. The door may be wide open for us to walk right on out, but he wants us comfortable. 
He wants us to be comfortable with all of our knickknacks, all of our cushionings, so that way we would never even dream of walking out that door. Until the day comes and he shuts that cake, that shuts the door, takes away all of your knickknacks and your comforts, and that cell collapses in on your head. The devil wants you comfortable. He wants you to desire to stay in this world. I mean, yes, there are wonderful things in this world. Right now, I can see the sun shining right off of one of the vehicles there. And you can could, you could look out. We got beautiful green grass this year. This past Tuesday when I was in Sioux City, I took it like the, late, the afternoon and just kind of drove around um, after the pastor's conference and enjoyed, enjoyed the nice weather, got, found some parks and saw some really nice views of the Missouri River and what beautiful creation God has given. And we should give thanks for that. But, the, but our Lord allows suffering in our lives to remind us, though there is joy in this world, this world is broken. This world is dying. He allows suffering to enter into our lives so that way we do not get comfortable. So that we don't want to stay here. The reason he gives us the joys in this life is to give you a glimpse of what he has prepared for you. But he lets these things happen so that you look like, okay, I had this great day, but today's awful. He's letting you know that there is a world that's coming where you'll never have a bad day. Where you never have, the joys of the world will never be drowned out. He allows us to suffer because we are his children and he wants us to break free from the prison cell that is this world. The devil wants to keep us cushioned. He likes to keep us comfortable. But when we come to faith, we break out of that prison cell. When we're baptized, we are led out of it. And just like the, the children of Israel, when they're led out of slavery, and they wander through the wilderness, so also we wander through the wilderness of this world, facing suffering, facing torment. And all the while, if you remember the, when the nation of Israel was wandering, they kept on saying, why don't you lead us out here just to die? We would have been better off in Egypt. See, so the devil keeps whispering and saying, come back to your prison cell. Don't you remember how comfortable it is? Look at these other people in their prison cell. Look at how good their life is. They'll make sure for you to look at the holiday, Hollywood elite. Look at those ones who mock and blaspheme our God. Look at how rich they are. Look at those beautiful houses. Look at those glamorous dresses. If you're a girl or a guy want awesome suits. Look at that. Live like, you can live like them. But our God keeps pointing us forward. Our temptation is to go back to that cell because it looks comfortable. And ignoring the fact that there's a really, really bright light, really awesome thing in the other direction. But to get to that is a lot harder. So we want to take the easy road and go back. 
And the devil is always whispering, trying to tempt us to do that. Knowing that the day will come and that we'll go back and that cell will close and it'll collapse on our head and we'll be no more. But like the people of Israel, we trek through the wilderness of this, our lives and we eventually arrive to the day of the resurrection, which is far greater than all the joys of this world combined. The joys of this world are there, but they are just small compared to what is to come. See, these are the birth pangs. That's what this world is. You're fearing the, feeling the pains like the pains of a pregnancy. It is tough. It is not easy to go through this world. But we are enduring it, and on the other end is going to be a joy that is inexpressible. A joy that cannot be measured on this earth. As Jesus said, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Just as when a mother gives birth to that child and all that pain has gone away or forgotten for a moment at the joy of the birth of the child. So it is. We face the pains of this world and we will, face, we will go right up to the most painful moments to our very bitter death. But as soon as that passes, we will rise in glory and all that pain and sorrow will be forgotten and you will have a joy that is inexpressible. And it is a promised land much greater than the nation of Israel was looking forward to. Until we enter into that glory, to God be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we continue with the Te Deum on page 223.